Welcome to LifeBridge Online. We are once again grateful that you are tuning in and, and watching our services online. We are grateful to be part of your life. Uh, whether this is Sunday morning for you and you're sitting on the couch with family having your celebration service, or whether you are throughout the week uh, going to the grocery store or uh, blowing leaves in your front yard, whatever the case may be, we are grateful that you have tuned in to us today and you are allowing us to, to be part of your life. I want you to know that uh, to those of you who are part of our LifeBridge family, we miss you. Uh, we cannot wait until our church is reunited under one roof, worshiping, celebrating God together. We long for that day, and we hope that you long for that day too. We do this every week because we want to love the family, the faith family, well. We want to love others well. And uh, one of the things that we do, is, besides videos every week for our congregation and for those other places listening, is we, we are making strides to love other people well. And this month, we are collecting items for the men who have come through our church and who are in the military. Uh, these men are currently serving. If you're interested in this, you've probably seen an email if you are a LifeBridge member uh, giving you the specifics of what to collect, what to send. We are going to be sending care packages to these men uh, within the next couple of weeks. And so if you want to show love to these men, uh, then drop off your items, just one or two each. Don't You don't have to buy everything on the list because so many of you responded last month when we did this. So take a moment, if you're interested in being part of this campaign of loving others well, then we encourage you to do, the, do so. We encourage you to get that material to us soon. Today, as we get into the next series, the next uh, sermon in our series on James, we take on a passage that is part of our foundational beliefs as the small C church here in Decatur, Alabama. We have two statements that drive this organization in the direction that the elders believe we need to be going. We have a vision statement that basically tells us what is important to us as a church. Obviously, we want to be obedient to the Lord. Everything we do should glorify Him. But when it comes to measuring success, when it comes to, hey, the ministry that is taking place here, is it bearing fruit? Is it successful? The vision statement that we have helps determine whether or not that is happening. Our vision statement happens to be bridging the gap between you and God. It's all about drawing or coming closer to God on a personal level. Because that's what's important to, to us. We're supposed to live in a relationship with one another, and we're supposed to do life together with one another. And that has to be a component. But at the end of the day, my faith journey in maturation, growth, is all about my effort and what I'm doing and how the Holy Spirit is working in my life. And we have to know that we, you, are responsible for the maturity that does or maybe does not take place in your relationship with the God. So 
bridging the gap between you and God is all about this personal desire for you to draw closer to him. Now, one of these verses uh, that we base this statement on is found in verse 8 of James chapter 4. And so, obviously, if this is a critical statement to the church, and then one of the verses which we base this on is found in the book of James, then we're going to talk about it. So, look at it. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 8. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. God has this desire for you to come close to him, to draw closer and closer to him. And the on, this only happens when we become more like Jesus. I'll, I'll let that kind of sink in. Like we, It doesn't just happen. Like There has to be change on my part because God is, is holy. He is he's absolutely pure. Uh, we are sinners. We are separated by this, this void that sin has caused. And we are to become closer and closer and closer to God. And we only do that as we, and the New Testament is full of this, become more like Jesus. This happens, this process of becoming like Jesus is called sanctification. And as James writes, he tells us that we are to wash our hands and we're to purify our hearts. Well, this is James' way of saying that we are to become like him. This is sanctification. The purifying of our hearts is sanctification. And in this process, we become more like him. So that's what, that's what God desires. He desires that we draw closer to him. It only happens when we are becoming like him. And we do this in relationship as we live life together with other people. I hope this makes sense to you. I say all that because this was what the original message planned for today was going to be on. It was going to be on verse 7 and 8. But, but that has changed. And I actually want to spend some time talking through another point in James chapter 4. Um, it's at the very beginning of this passage. And it's something that I think that's important for us to wrap our minds around. This is something that's been on my heart for the past month or so. And, and, I, and I think that there's an issue there in my life, certainly, but in the life of our congregation, of our faith family, that might be hindering our drawing closer to God. Something that's there that we may not even realize it's an issue. So, Let's read this other verse and talk about it for today. Drawing close to God is the heading of this chapter. Verse 1 reads, What is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Verse 1 of this fourth section of the letter that James wrote to scattered, persecuted Christians he points out what you and I know is true in life. We are certainly going to deal with quarrels and fights with one another. It's going to happen. Uh, verse 1 is an interesting verse in that it is two questions. You don't see that a lot in Scripture. 
What is causing the quarrels and fights among you is the first question. But then he answers that with a second question. Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? What is causing? The first question, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? This is what's had me thinking about some relationships in my life. Like I, as I've been preparing for today and I've been thinking through it, that question has actually had me thinking about relationships in my life. Relationships even in our faith family. Relationships with some of you that, that I am aware of where I know that there's been fighting. I know that there's been bickering. I know that there's been been quarrels, if you will. And I've come under conviction about something that I believe is taking place within relationships in our faith family. I told our sermon team on Wednesday, I really feel I need to alter the direction of this original plan and, and I need to talk about this conviction with you today. In any relationship, there is certainly going to be some type of argument, bickering, verbal assault um, with one another. It's, it's going to happen. This happens in the healthiest of marriages. There's going to be arguing. There's going to be bickering. Uh, this happens in the healthiest of family dynamics. It happens in the healthiest of work environments. At some point in time, it's going to happen. And those are in extremely healthy situations. Those are in relationships that, that there is good fruit that is being produced from the relationship. Arguments, bickering, it will still happen. Now, bring in other relationships that maybe not be as healthy. Uh, there's certainly going to be bickering. There's certainly going to be <clears throat> arguing that takes place. Sometimes it's uh, intentional. Other times it's completely unintentional. And, and, and the truth of today, if you don't get anything else out of this, is that relationships are messy. And it's going to happen. But Jesus tells us that when this happens, that we need to handle conflict. It's like, just don't let this stuff keep happening. Don't, don't live with it. If, if there is bickering, if there's arguing or fighting amongst you, then you need to handle or resolve the conflict, no matter what kind it is. And so he gives this advice uh, to the disciples in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. So if you have your Bible, flip over there. Verse 15 reads, If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again, so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then he or she won't accept the church's decision. Treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. So Jesus tells us, hey, there's an issue. The first thing we're to do is to go to the person in private. So if there is something offensive to you, something that another follower of Jesus is doing that you find offensive, maybe you want to vent to someone else about it. Maybe this offense is causing you to gripe or complain about the person's behavior. You see that something is offensive. Jesus says that you are to go to them in private. 
Now, he doesn't say, go to your life group leader and have them do it. That's not the first step. I know that many of you are in life groups together, so we go into each other's homes. Uh, our kids play with one another. Things happen. Um, it's, it's, just, it's just part of being different people with different personalities and different perspectives that we come into each other's homes and things happen and sometimes we don't like it. If there's something that is offensive, then I'm to go to that person and I'm not supposed to go to the life group leader and talk to them about this thing. I am to go to them in private and talk to them. I'm not supposed to come to the pastor. It's not your pastor's job to go to that person on your behalf. Jesus is very clear. If there is conflict, if there is tension, you go to that person in private. If they listen, great. You've won them back. Outstanding. If they don't listen, then you take another person or another two people. If the person still refuses to listen, you then bring them before the church. So this is Jesus' three-step process for handling conflict. Now, in my 20 years of ministry, uh, this has been avoided in some churches in my past. It uh, has been seldom used in some churches in my past. Uh, but then here at LifeBridge, it is a very much a point of emphasis. I'll tell you this, in every single case that has happened, uh, where we followed Jesus' method of resolving conflict, it never once, in my experience, has gotten to level three. It's always been the first person or bring to, and the conflict has been resolved. At LifeBridge, we take handling conflict seriously. As a matter of fact, when people ask me about your church, about when they say, hey, Michael, what about LifeBridge? What's what sets you apart? What's different about you? One of the things that I will bring up is how we handle conflict and the emphasis on, on this. This is something we believe and do not waver from. And that is the good news this morning. As a pastor, as your pastor, I'm proud of efforts to handle conflict. I, I can think back uh, many situations where if there's been an issue with someone, our leaders have said, you go to that person first. And then if they don't listen, come and get us, and then we will go with you. We have done, speaking on just my history and upbringing, we have done, to my knowledge, the, the best job of implementing and living out this conflict. And it is part of our culture. It's part of what we're trying to create. But here's the conviction that I'm under this morning. In the last nine years of LifeBridge, a lot of emphasis on handling conflict, meaning we will resolve the issue at any cost. And we do that. But the issue that I have with that is we now think that that is all we are supposed to do. And church, I'll confess right now, I, I'm guilty of this. I am guilty of getting caught up in the, hey, there's conflict, there's tension, let's resolve it in a biblical way. Celebrate when it happens. Yay, the conflict has been resolved. 
But the Bible teaches us that there's another step. There's more to the relationship. There's more to what's at stake here than just solving an issue between two parties. We are not only to handle the conflict, take care of the issues that may be between me and you or you and someone else. We are also supposed to reconcile the relationship. And I think this has to be something that we emphasize more and more. The word reconcile, when it pertains to relationships anyway, means to restore to favorable or friendly status. That we are to restore the relationships once where there was conflict. It's not only about resolving the conflict, getting rid of the tension that's between you and I. It is restoring that relationship to a friendly status. That's the next step. That's what we are supposed to be doing. And so as followers of Jesus, because James is writing to the church and Jesus is actually talking to believers it's between you and I as followers of Jesus. This has to be the next step if there is ever conflict. Look at Jesus' words in Matthew 5. Matthew 5 verse 23. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar, he says, in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Now, this, this is interesting to me. Jesus, who spoke about money a lot, encourages giving. The Bible encourages giving. He tells his audience that if you are actually in the temple, you are there to give the sacrifice that, that is required of you. And in the process of laying your sacrifice your offering on the altar and you remember that someone has something against you stop set the sacrifice to the side go to the person and reconcile the differences restore the relationship restore the relationship to a favorable status now, there's a very important lesson here for, for us to learn. Logic, human, earthly logic, would say you give the gift to God first. After all, Jesus gives the example of if you're in the temple and you are placing your offering on the altar. Well, logic says go ahead and do that. I'm putting God first. I should always put God first. So I'm going to place the offering here and then I'm going to go talk about this relationship. But Jesus is like, no, no. Take care of the earthly relationship first. Then come give your offering to God. And I want you to think about that for a second. Jesus says that if there's relationships in your world that, that are fractured, if there's relationships that, that aren't up to how we treat are supposed to treat one another, then we shouldn't even give a gift 
until we go and take care of that relationship. And he uses the word reconciled. He says, you need to have this relationship restored to favorable status. And so this is just proof of what is often said. You cannot love God with your mind, soul, body, strength if you don't love your neighbor as yourself. And, and there's a lot of Christians walking around thinking that we can separate those two, that I can love God with the entirety of who I am and love most people as I do myself. But what Jesus is making, as he, he is making a point, he's stressing here that, that you cannot honor God with your gifts and sacrifices if there's splintered, unhealthy relationships. So stop what you're doing and go and reconcile those relationships. So it's not enough for us today to simply resolve the conflict. We must also strive to reconcile relationships, restore the relationships to a friendly, to a favorable status. So as we talk about reconciliation for a minute there's there's three things needed for reconciliation if you're going to do this uh, Ephesians 4 is loaded with advice on how to restore relationships it's a great chapter to read I encourage you to go do that on your own we're just going to read a couple of verses here Ephesians 4 Paul is talking to the church verse 1 he says therefore I a prisoner for serving the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. And I think the first thing that is needed for reconciliation in relationships is humility. James asked the question, verse 1 of chapter 4, what is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Hey, the evil desire that James is writing on, what he's saying there is, is the evil desire at war within you is pride. Pride is what's at war within you. Pride is our biggest obstacle in reconciliation. I know situations in our church and in, in my life where tensions and conflicts were handled, were taken care of, but, but there's still an issue with the relationship. The relationships need to be reconciled. And, and the issue is pride. I don't want to. I'm not willing. Pride. So the first thing that is needed is humility. See, it's one thing to resolve a tension between you and I. That's actually pretty easy. It's another thing to work toward restoring relationships to favorable status. I'm willing to resolve the conflict. I can do that, and on the inside, I can still be mad. I can still be bitter towards you. The conflict itself is handled. I'm going to move on and get over it, right? We, we, we've been there. I can do that. That's not reconciliation. If you examine every relationship that needs to be re reconciled, 
and you're not willing to do so, you have pride issues. Humility is needed. And Paul writes in Ephesians 4, always be humble. And I'll say it here, and those who are listening and know me know this. This is not easy. This is hard for me to always be humble. It's, it's, it's hard for me to be humble just a little bit of the time. He says, always be humble. Because here's the thing, when I become, when I start practicing humility, humility then allows me to be gentle. Humility is the pathway for patience with one another. Humility is the base ingredient in binding yourself together in peace. And so if you're struggling in your relationships this morning, if you know that in, in your world that there are relationships that need to be reconciled and it's you choosing not to do it, I encourage you to start praying about humility. Asking God to give you a spirit of humility. To always be humble and gentle so that this step in reconciliation can take place. The second thing needed for uh, reconciliation is forgiveness. The first one is humility. And, and then the second is forgiveness. And, and those two kind of go hand in hand. It's, it's really difficult to forgive someone of everything without being humble, without taking and swallowing your pride. Ephesians 4, again, towards the end of the chapter, Paul writes, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I don't know if there are levels to forgiveness, but Paul tells us that we are to forgive others just as God through Christ has forgiven me. We can't get into everything that that encompasses this morning, but I'll say it like this. Every single sin in your life can be removed without God holding it over you. As a matter of fact, when you ask for forgiveness from God, He doesn't remember it. He doesn't lord it over you. He doesn't bring it up and say, Oh, remember that time you did this? Or remember that time this took place? When you ask for forgiveness from God, it is now a thing of the past. It doesn't come back up. I was reading, and I forgot the author, but one author writes when it comes to forgiveness and reconciliation. It says that reconciliation requires a willingness to forgive, but it also includes a commitment to move forward in restoring a broken relationship. I love that. Reconciliation picks up where forgiveness leaves off and involves a commitment to the future and mutual commitment to move the relationship forward based on biblical truth. Did, did you hear that? Reconciliation is a commitment to the future. It's a commitment to moving the relationship to, to a healthier place based on biblical truths. He goes on to write that God is calling believers to move beyond forgiveness to reconciliation with one another in light of His glorious, saving work in our lives. As a result of grace 
in our lives, we should move beyond forgiveness to reconciliation, to restoring the relationship. Mm. The third thing needed. The third thing needed is we need to learn to practice empathy. Um, this is a word that has just been on the radar in church circles for the last decade or so. Uh, I know growing up, I, I certainly never heard the word empathy. I, I could relate to, hey, be compassionate towards one another, and I, I certainly struggle with that, and be sympathetic towards one another, and I'm certainly not the most sympathetic. In the last decade, it seems that the emphasis in relationships has been on empathy, that, that we need to practice empathy with one another. Empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of one another. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that again if you're taking notes. It, empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of one another. I, I don't even like to talk about my own feelings. I, I, I've done a a wonderful job growing up of suppressing my own feelings and never sharing my own feelings, much less the feelings of other people. But empathy is, I, is, is practicing and knowing that I need to understand and share what you're going through. And church, this is not easy. It's not easy for me and it's not easy for most of you. But here's the truth about reconciliation. Reconciliation is not a switch we simply go and flip. We don't just make up our mind today that I'm going to reconcile relationships. I don't just tell myself, okay, those relationships, they're all good. It, it doesn't work that way. There has to be humility on my part to forgive, which leads to empathy, understanding, and sharing the feelings with the people whom I have had issues with. Relationships are only restored when I actually take the time to understand what is going on from your point of view. The key words there, take the time to understand. See, reconciliation takes time. Resolving conflict is a much simpler process than restoring fractured relationships to a favorable, favorable status. I can resolve a conflict in a few minutes of understanding that I upset you, that you upset me, and we will just move on. Reconciliation, the restoration of that relationship, takes time. Paul commanded the church at Rome... Romans 12, he says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Church, we have people who cross paths every Sunday morning throughout the week that we just tolerate each other. We tolerate the presence there's been conflict, there's been tension in our past, and we simply decide in our minds that when I'm around that person, I will not trust them. I, I'll, I'll be polite. I'll be cordial to them. And there's a real need 
for reconciliation in relationships. Paul says that we are to live in harmony with one another. If I'm living in harmony with you, then there is an understanding of your perspective. I'm not going to be able to live in harmony with you without practicing empathy. So three things to help us restore relationships to a favorable status. The need for humility in our lives. The need for forgiving others as God has forgiven us through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and learning to practice empathy. As we start running all of our broken, fractured, less than desirable, unhealthy relationships through this process of understanding the need for reconciliation, something's going to happen. It's not going to be an easy journey. It's probably not even going to be pleasant all the way through. But when believers take this seriously, those who are like-minded, those who want to honor God, those who want to become like Jesus, as we start to filter our broken relationships through the lens of reconciliation and we're willing to fight for relationships, the very thing that we talked about in James 4, verse 8 starts to happen. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Church, I'm praying for your spirit. I'm praying for your relationships today. Until next week, we'll see you.